from the definitive studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another Funkin' Wagnalls episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. What do words like topsoil, humus, and compost really mean? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll try and define the many terms we use for dirt. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens, that's right, potential guests are busy hunting for humus. So we will take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and concertedly concise connotations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you learning the difference between soil and shinola right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up a little later in the show, we will reveal what words like hummus and compost and topsoil really mean. But before we take your fabulous phone calls at our brand new number of 888 492 94.44. It is time for a new but well-deserved feature on our show, the Department of Mistakes, Corrections, and Accidental, as opposed to deliberate, idiocy. Remember a few episodes back when I described most of Texas as semi-tropical and an area that rarely had anything resembling a real winter? Well, that unfortunate phone call was taped a few days before most of Texas froze over. And none of us remembered not to use that call when it came time to put a new show together, or at least to add a mention that the call was taped way in advance, and I was not the heartless beast I appeared to be, at least this time. Seriously, we really do appreciate the level of disaster many of you in Texas and Oklahoma and other hard-hit areas are dealing with, and we hope you all have power, heat, water, and especially new plumbing by the time this episode airs. In other news, I seriously misspoke when I said during that same episode that neonicotoids were an insect growth regulator during a phone call with a New Orleans listener about bark scale. They are instead a chemically produced nicotine derivative that drives insects mad. To put the stake in a little deeper, we showed a picture of plant canker instead of tree bark scale, which is about a thousand times smaller than our image might suggest. We regret these errors in fact, imaging, and judgment, all sandwiched into a single show, which is quite an achievement. And as Max Bialystok said to the judge at the end of the producers, Your Honor, we're very sorry and we'll never do it again. Now, on to your fabulous phone calls at that brand new number, 888-492-9444. Teresa, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. 
Hello, Mike. Happy to be on. Um, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, wow. There's something I haven't heard for a long time. Yeah, the the public radio <laughs> credo, right? Oh, right. So how you doing, Teresa? You sound happy. I'm doing great today. Thank you. How about you? I'm just ducky, as always. Uh, and where is Teresa? <laughs> um, I am calling about a problem from Cape May, New Jersey, but Mike, I don't think you want to know where I am right now. I'm on vacation. Oh, uh, no, no. Southern Florida, <laughs> Southern California. Yeah, 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 yeah. First one is right. Yeah, uh -huh. sorry about that. I, I won't even tell you. <laughs> uh, normally, I would attack you viciously for such a cowardly move, but um, I'm ready to take the room next to you. I'm sick of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right, so what's going on anyway, but, in Cape May? Okie dokie. So we planted beach plums uh, about hmm, 15, 20 years ago at our house that's down there in Cape May. Mm -hmm. uh, they do pretty well down there, if you know anything about this plant. They are basically facing the ocean. Mm -hmm. Our house is across the street from the ocean. They face the ocean. Oh, you're just rubbing they... it in now. Your house is oh, across the street from the ocean and Cape <laughs> May, and now you're in Florida. Who I let know. this person through? Don't I'm we real... have any screeners here? I'm really... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, sorry about that. I'm you want to tell us about the apartment in Switzerland as well? Or, you know... <laughs> No, no, I don't have any one of those. Yeah, <laughs> it's too sure. cold there. Sure. <laughs> anyway, uh, I planted them, I'm going to say, 15 to 20 years ago. And they bore fruit pretty well for, I'm going to say, the first 10 years. Past three or four years, not so much. Uh, as a matter of fact, the last summer, I got maybe a bowl full of fruit. And we're talking 10 plants. Oh. So in past years, I got plenty to make uh, beach plum jam, beach plum butter, uh, a crisp with the beach plums with blueberries in it, all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. And just in the past couple of years, they've stopped um, producing fruit. Okay. So I thought I'd give you a call and see if you had any suggestions. Yeah, this is a remarkable plant. It is a true plum. I mean, it is in the same family. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. is perhaps the most adapted fruit-bearing plant uh, to be near the ocean, hence the name beach plums. Now, it's not unusual for fruiting plants to like living in a low-nutrition, quote, soil, which in your case is sand, right? Mm -hmm. Have Absolutely. You, have, Absolutely. Have you ever fed them or um, pruned them? Okay. So the only thing that I use for plant food in my garden there, which is a, a, a lot of native plants in a butterfly garden, is something called worm compost. Oh, sure. It just comes in a, a you know, a bag. It's really fine brown stuff Excellent. and I spread that in my garden at the be nah, beginning of the summer when I'm out there and then midway but that's it because these plants you know they grow over there in the dunes 
Yeah. With nothing else. So yes, I figure exactly. they don't really need it. No, they don't want to be overfed. Now, um, have you ever mm-hmm. pruned them? Okay, so I have done pruning, uh, uh, not for, I've done pruning for myself because they, uh, I have a lot of birds in my yard. Mm -hmm. They sit in the branches and do what birds do. And then there's poison ivy underneath them. So I've only pruned them up so I can get in there and weed underneath them, get the poison ivy. And there's also thistles under there. Mm -hmm. So I don't get all scratched up because it can be kind of like a pokey plant. Yes, it is. But that's it. I've never done any other kind of major pruning. You know, I have to tell you, because they get a lot of wind, they, this plant, these 20-year-old, 15, 20-year-old plants are really only six to seven feet high. They're not that's, very high. No, that's that's the beach plum. It It is, if uh, any... Okay, that's about normal for them then. Yes, it, if okay. anything, they're going to be wider than taller. And yes. so what I... Yes, su- that's exactly right. What I suggest, they flower real well, right? Yeah, yeah, they bloom really beautifully about the end of April. They're just gorgeous. Okay. And, and you say uh, you have... I don't spray my property. I hope not. Um, and yeah. you say you have... No, I don't... ...pollinator plants nearby. Yeah, lots of them. Now, I'm going to just tell you, that's the end of April when they're blooming. So you may know there's not much out there that's blooming at that time that's right. native or non-native. So... There's tons of bees, sometimes butterflies on them, all Good. kinds of stuff on them when they're blooming at the end of April. Okay. Yeah. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at these okay. plums as if they were what they are, which is fruit trees. I want you to get in there. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're going to have to wear heavy gloves because they are a little thorny. Yeah. And open. Yep. yep. I have that. Open up the center. Make sure sun can get into the middle, that the airflow is good and not impeded. One of the nice things about pruning is there are many ways it can help uh, a plant that has become somewhat lazy produce. Not only will Mm. you perhaps improve uh, the kind of nature, uh, the habit of the plant, but the pruning itself stimulates new growth. So you can either do this over the winter if you journey back, which it doesn't sound like you're going to, or you can, (laughs) if you're going to, you know, uh, wait until it's flowering time, let them flower. And during the time they're flowering, do your pruning then, because then you can be sure to remove any dead wood or unproductive wood that doesn't have any or many flowers on it. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, like roses are thorny, you can do the same thing with the beach plum. You can bring some of the longer branches inside and display them in a vase. Um, I love to do that with flowering fruit trees. So I think what they need, it sounds like you're doing an excellent job. I think they need a pruning to both open up the center and stimulate new growth. Right. I tell you what's good about pruning. You know, that's a that's a job my husband loves because it involves sharp objects. Uh-huh. And, Men love know, danger. danger. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I can 
So, yeah, at your suggestion, I made uh, uh, I bought him a flamethrower. <laughs> he loved that thing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He's he's the envy of all the guy neighbors too. So yeah, this sure. is another dangerous job. I could give it to him, give him the saw and the and the uh, chopper, and say, "Go at it, honey." Well, I would do this. How how wide are the branches? Do you actually need a bow saw to cut off hmm. some of the bigger ones? Or can it be done with hand pruners? No. Uh, hand pruners, and I have one of those little folding pruning saws. Mm -hmm. And I think for the most part, we can get by with that. Yeah, kind of I'm stuff. not a fan of those. If you want a great gardening tool, oh, no kidding. buy what's called a bow saw. They're very inexpensive. And they're really yeah, easy to handle. And they make a beautiful clean cut. Oh, great. All Wait, right. We actually have one. Oh, okay. So there you go. We'll use that. Perfect. 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 All right. Sounds well, good great. luck. And you say your house is right on the beach, right across the street? It is. You'll you'll see it. Uh, anytime you go to Cape May, it's the only one that has wildlife in it. You know, everybody uh -huh. else okay. has all that. We'll be down towards we'll be down towards on. the end of August, early September when the water's nice and okay. warm. Oh, yeah, and the, and the monarchs are there. We'll, yeah. have, we'll have a glass of wine on the beach and socially distant if we still have to do it by that time. <laughs> I hear you. All right. Well, good luck to you. It's great to hear from you. Um, All righty. We'll let you know. Thanks much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. 888-492-9444. Frank, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. It's a pleasure to speak with you. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Frank. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm, I'm in the, calling from uh, Whitehall, Pennsylvania, but the garden's actually going to be in uh, Nickelville, New York. Where is Nickelville? It's uh, about 30 minutes from the Canadian border. Oh, okay. So it's up there by Ithaca and Syracuse and everything? Yeah, if you ever heard of, I think it's Paul Smith's college no but um i barely escaped temple the university range. alive so i don't look for those things <laughs> all right what can we do for you man well my son-in-law is going to build a raised garden bed okay and i was wondering if you could offer up any uh tips tricks or suggestions on what he what he might have success growing he's a first timer Oh, well, you know, even though he's up close to Canada, they still have a decent summer. So in a raised bed, he can grow, you know, lettuce and carrots and things like that early in the season. Um, and then once the nights are reliably in the 50s, he can install the summer-loving plants, like tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, cucumbers. Because it is not the longest season you're going to encounter, he should probably stick with short-season varieties. Anytime you buy a seed or a plant, it should have a days to harvest with plants that you grow by seed, like sweet corn and string beans, that's an accurate number once the soil is warm. You know, if it says 60 days, you'll get your first string beans at 60 days. 
if it is a plant that is typically started uh, professionally or by you and then transplanted outside, that number is the days from the time you put a six to eight week old transplant into warm soil. Uh, one of the keys is to remember not to jump the gun, that the nights have to be in the 50s before you put out the crops of summer. But one of the intriguing things about growing um, that far north is he's going to have more hours of daylight than I will down in Pennsylvania. You know, the higher you go, uh, the more extreme the daylight and lack of daylight variations are. So if he, you know, for instance, a lot of people in my region are going to plant around May 15th, provided the snow has finally melted by then. Um, as you get yeah, my, up, my, as you get up into upper New York state, you know, more likely uh, a maybe a beginning day is June 1st, but that still leaves you plenty of time. What he needs to avoid is growing plants like tomatoes that have a very long days to harvest, like in the 90s or even 100. But there's dozens of tomatoes, if not hundreds, that have a days to harvest in the 60s and things like string beans and all that. There's no lack of any plant specifically that he can grow, but he has to pay attention to what we call the DTH, the days to harvest. And where he is, the shorter the number, the better the chance of success. Got it. So he wouldn't be growing brandy wines. Exactly right. Um, Got it. You know, it, it's possible with specialized greenhouses or hoop houses, but there are many mid-sized tomatoes that have a more rational days to harvest, like around 70. And... Um, you know, maybe you can grow him his brandy wines and ship them, <laughs> uh, and he'll send you something else. But it, it it is always good, especially when you're starting out, to be rational about what works in your region, because you can never you can never guess the weather, but you can prepare for it. And if I lived up there, it would be all short season varieties, and many catalogs specialize in early harvest tomatoes. And as times have gone by, I have seen more and more large tomatoes with relatively short days to maturity. So, and, and what you said with brandy wine is so fabulous because I urge people not to fall in love with a specific variety, but instead grow what their climate can help you succeed with. Perfect. Yeah, thanks, Mike. All right, my pleasure. Good luck to you and he. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and get cracking on preparing things for this year's tomato seed starting adventure. And this year, I'm well ahead of the game by having my bags of potting soil stored inside, as opposed to being a barely visible frozen lump in my snow-covered outdoors. But don't go thawing out your seed starting soil just yet because we'll be right back with the deal on dirt and more of your fabulous phone calls. 
I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up a little later in the show, we will reveal what words like hummus and compost and topsoil really mean. And in the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at our brand new number, 888-492-9444. Christina, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Great to talk with you. It's great to talk with you, Christina. How are you doing? I am doing well, and how are you today? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I am in northeast Ohio, uh, between Cleveland and Akron, in a little community called Richfield. I had one of my uh, biggest and best gigs in Akron one winter. And we were we were all terrified because it was the winter, and everybody kept thinking back to the Alice Cooper debacle, when he was what stuck in Cleveland for three weeks or something. Was that at the Richfield Coliseum? Oh no, it was no, it was. um, I think it was the Ohio State Extension Service, and it was uh, at a community college. And boy, the turnout was amazing. It was and just what a wonderful crowd. Yeah. I remember said somebody was once asking me for an interview, where is your favorite place to speak? And I said, well, recently it was Akron. And they just stared at me. Well, that's probably a first, yeah. yeah. All right, what can we do you for, Christina? Well, Mike, I want to try my hand at growing asparagus this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done a little reading. I've done a little research. I have a brand-new raised Eight by four bed waiting. It's about two feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and two feet. Yeah, I'm looking wow. for some guidance. You're an overachiever. Yes, it's a taller bed. Yes, yes. I don't like to bend. <laughs> um, so, and the little bit of reading I'm doing is leading me to the conclusion that I'm not going to be able to plant very many asparagus plants in this eight by four area. Um, so I'm looking for some guidance. Okay, so um, typically asparagus is planted in flat ground. It's one of the few crops uh, that probably does better in flat ground than it does in a raised bed because like raspberries, um, asparagus spreads. So to some degree, um, the limitations of your raised bed won't be an issue after a couple of years. You're going to have new spears showing up outside the bed. Now, um, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm presuming you're committed to using this raised bed. Well, no, no. You know, in fact, the more I'm reading, I'm starting to think I'm limiting myself by using that. And I've seen asparagus growing in flat earth, and I thought, can I do that? Yes. Yes, you can. You know, okay. we're, always, we're always talking about raised beds, but there are a few exceptions. Things like raspberries and blackberries and asparagus that spreads. 
and sweet corn, which has a tendency to fall over in nice loose soil. It's shallow rooted and it needs to be planted in, no offense to the sweet corn, pretty crappy soil. So um, do, you, oh. do you have an area? The problem with asparagus or the issue with it is trying to keep the weeds to a minimum. So do you do you have a nice oh. do, do you have a nice flat area that isn't really weedy that you can prepare? Uh, well, I mean, we'd probably have to remove some sod. This would be in a community garden area, oh. uh, and it's a it's a plot that has nothing on it except our little our eight by four bed, and then there's more open space around that that we could use for asparagus, mm -hmm. uh, would we remove sod first or how Boy, do we go about uh, preparing flax? Oh yeah, no, no, that's a sod actually. How did sod get into a community garden? Well, it's, it's somebody's donated land and I, it's, you know, grass, it's very weedy, grassy in between beds and in between each plot. So if, they're, if you don't, I, I just, if you don't put the asparagus into the raised bed, will you use the raised bed for other things like tomatoes and peppers? Yes, we'll use it for something else, yes. Okay, but it's the asparagus you're dying for. Well, I just always wanted to try to grow it because it's so expensive to buy it in the farmer's market. Oh, and there's nothing um, like growing your own. Um, so what I'm, yeah, right. what I'm going to suggest is um, you, um, you know, how are you at doing real heavy physical work? Well, that's what I have my husband for. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, well, that's uh, heavy physical work, moving around air conditioners and removing dead uh, mice from the house. That's Other than that, uh, we would have gone out as a species years ago. So um, <laughs> what I'm going to suggest is you guys rent a machine called a sod cutter. And what this does mm. is it sends this blade into the ground that will separate out the sod from the surrounding uh, grasses. And uh, you can then just roll it up like they did when they harvested it. Um, do this in small section because sod is really heavy. But um, it's right. better than, it, it, I'm happier to hear that you're gonna take out sod rather than just grass that was seeded or anything like that. So when you when okay. you remove the sod, the weed should come out with it. And then you have two options with the sod. If you have an area that you'd like to uh, put it down, you know, excavate some of the soil, put the sod down and keep it well watered. But if you just turn it upside down, it makes a fabulous weed preventing mulch that will eventually uh, break down. So the sod is very useful. And um, I, I would consider using it for one of those two things. So after you get the sod up, um, you're in pretty good shape. What you're gonna need is a good quantity of well-composted, what they used to call well-rotted horse manure. Don't use any fresh mm. manure because that contains a lot of weed seeds. Um, but asparagus is a grass, like corn. And the only thing at once really in the world of food is a lot of nitrogen. And composted horse manure is very nitrogen rich. Um, back in the day, farmers were advised to, you know, plant their asparagus crowns into a bed of almost nothing but uh, well-composted horse manure. And you can tell it's well-composted because it doesn't have a bad smell. It's not hot to the touch. 
and it just looks like good soil. Um, but that's really okay. that's really it. Um, watch out for weeds. That's the biggest enemy of uh, of asparagus, mm -hmm. and resist the temptation to harvest the first year. And then the second year, you can take right. take a few spears. And then the year after that, you can harvest until the new spears coming up start to be really skinny, like a pencil. Right. And then you okay. and then you um, leave right. those in place uh, to create their fronds to absorb solar energy for the following year. Right. Yeah. That that's the pretty part of asparagus, I think, is it really is foamy, frothy fronds. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let me let me ask you a quick question. There's a product for sale around here called Sweet Peat in a bag, which is composted horse manure. There's some other things in it. Have you ever heard of that, sweet peat? I have heard of it. Um, I'm not sure why, however, it's called sweet peat. Um, peat, of course, would mean to me milled peat moss, which is very acidic. Sweet means alkaline. So I'm I'm not right. sure I'm not sure what's in it. It would it would depend on the percentage of horse manure. If it was mostly well composted horse manure with a little bit of peat that's been pH adjusted, that sounds fine. Okay, all right. Um, and one more quick question. I was doing a little um, searching online for plants for asparagus, and somebody is offering seedlings versus the crowns. Do you have any opinion on that? I'd, I'd stay with the classic, I'd stay with the crowns, and I would uh, advise you to get all male hybrids as opposed to the old heirloom types. You'll get a much better uh, harvest. And it wouldn't matter if they were organically grown or labeled organic? Do you think? No, no, because you're going to grow them organically. That's the important part. Right. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, that. That gives me a lot of information to get going with. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And uh, use that raised bed for something else. It would be a waste for uh, asparagus. Yes, yes. All right. That's good to know. And all right, Mike, thanks for talking. Good luck. Take care. 888-492-9444. Carol, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Carol. How are you doing? Hello, I am doing great. I am in Spokane, Washington on a beautiful sunny day, and it's going to be up to 50 degrees today. All right, we're done with you. Get out of here. All right, next caller, please. <laughs> I only found my car the other day. I wasn't sure what lump it was in the snow. Yeah, yeah, you're, you've really had it hard this winter. Oh, and you sound so sincerely hurt by that. All mm. right, Spokane is is a beautiful area. What can we do you for? Well, I, I have got an African violet that is absolutely baffling me. Mm -hmm. I have three African violets that I've had for 10 years. They all three set on a tea cart in front of a big window that faces the northeast, and uh, they get the same amount of light, the same amount of water, mm -hmm. the same amount of food, everything. And all of a sudden, this white, if it makes any difference what color it is, uh, African violet, all of its, um, and it's blooming right now, okay. but all of its leaves are reaching up, straight up in the air to the point that you almost have to separate them to see the blossoms. 
And I, I don't know why it's doing this. I like that image. It's like Jungle Jim in miniature trying to see what's through yes. the uh, giant bamboo yeah. forest. Um, I'm told that you sent us pictures. I can't see them, of course. But you've described okay. the situation very well. Now, African violets, as you probably know, are not true violets. Um, they're members of a very large plant family whose name I can't pronounce, even though the organization uh, that supports the, this type of flower has tried to teach me for 22 years. But they are unique plants. You're right to keep them in the Northeast as opposed to the Southeast. They can get burned pretty easily. And it sounds like you're doing great. Now, um, the white African violet, of course, is not the traditional form. This is not the traditional form. It's a different color that's been bred over time, like with poinsettias, which have honestly gotten ridiculous. Okay. Um, <laughs> and when you're doing a unique variety like this, you're going to have some crazy stuff happening. So okay. um, I think the solution is really easy. I think you should cut. Well, first, you should take good pictures of this, which apparently you have, but you know we're still uh -huh. in a steam-powered TV studio here. So, um, and I would go in there with a pair of small scissors, and I would take these leaves that are wrapping around it like a globe, and I would cut every one of them off, making sure that I didn't take more than a third of the existing leaves. And that way, you can see the flowers, which, quite honestly, is the point, correct? Uh-huh, right. But because this seems to be a unique variety, um, I would take those cut leaves. And have you ever propagated African violets? I have tried. Really? I haven't been successful. They're supposed to be easy. Yeah, so here's, I have not tried very often. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Uh, get a nice, clean bag of seed-starting soil, soil-free mix, potting soil, anything that doesn't have chemical fertilizers or water-holding crystals in it. And okay. uh, sat, uh, you know, put them in little containers and saturate the soil completely. And then you use a pencil or a chopstick or something like that to make a little hole in. And uh -huh. then you drop in the stem and cover it up. You don't jam it down because that will destroy all the cells that would normally grow new roots. Oh. And okay. you should be able to propagate um, a huge number of these. I'm going to name them globular white African violets trademark or registration mark. Um, and I think they would be uh, well received by fans of African violets okay. and the related species, which are like on the, on the tip of my tongue, but I would pronounce it wrong uh -huh. anyway. So I'll get Jacob to run the name in a crawl underneath after I'm done. <laughs> but you're, okay. you're obviously I, being successful. That. And there are many plants in, in my experience, that grow in an unusual way that covers up the flowers. And for me, the answer is, well, cut away the stuff that's covering up the flowers. But in your okay. case, that's exactly what you use to propagate new African violets. 
And if this is okay, and you know, in the past, I think I have not used the entire the stem. I have only used the leaf. No, no, you got it. So it didn't have much. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you got to go right down to the body of the plant and take the whole stem, and okay, have the soil pre moistened or the soil free mix. Um, don't shove it in. Make a hole. Drop it in. Cover up around it. And then uh, keep it moist. With African violets, you don't want to be misting too much. But you can mist... No, I, I, don't, I don't mist them. Yeah, you can mist the soil surface around it. And you'll see immediately when it started to grow new roots, the, uh, the leaf itself will change dramatically. Okay. So you're about to go into business over. for That's yourself. That's what I will do. You know, white globular yeah. African violets. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks. All thanks right. for calling. That's, that's what I will do. Thank you very much. Oh, I'll my just, pleasure. Uh, start a new baby. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then come here and clean out my ice dams, okay? <laughs> okay, will do. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mike. I enjoy your, your show on Sunday mornings uh, immensely. Oh, because we're on broadcast radio. Yes. Where you are. Do you know the yes. call letters? Uh, I do, actually. I, I hear you on KSFC. 91.9. All right, good. We love to do a shout-out to our affiliate stations, and I know we've been on the air for quite a while there, so thank you. Yes, you have. All right, and I always learn something from your show. I try to, too, but sometimes I fall asleep halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you take okay, care, keep Carol. Keep up the good work, Mike. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and once again apologize for my seeming insensitivity a few weeks back when I told a caller in Texas that they don't get real winters. That call was taped just a few days before Texas froze over, and I assure all of you in the Lone Star State that our hearts and prayers are really with you during this unprecedented time of snow, ice, freezing cold, and shortages of just about everything. But don't go emailing that I'm forgiven just yet, because we'll be right back with the definition of dirt and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week where we will provide definitions for things like hummus and compost and what is topsoil and things like that that are going to confront you as you get ready to fill your beds this coming season. In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at our new number, 888-492-9444. Miles, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very uh, much, Mike. How are you doing today? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking, Miles. Uh-oh. Ducky's mask has fallen off. 
Got to get it back oh. on before Dr. Fauci raids the place. There you go. Um, how are you, Miles? Oh, doing okay. Uh, we just had a little more snow uh, yesterday, and uh, obviously the ground is frozen. Yeah. I have this tree in the backyard, and I said, I better call Mike because he'll tell me what to do, if anything. Okay. Where are you? Uh, I'm in northeast Philadelphia, and I back to the beautiful Pennypack Park. My first job after college was as a park ranger at the Pennypack Environmental Center on Varee Road. So About 30 seconds from me, because I'm off of uh, Cruistown Road. There you go. Oh, man, brings back memories. All right. What can we do for miles in the northeast? Well, I have a tree about 15 feet from the house. Mm-hmm. I call it the Immaculate Tree because it grew by itself. Right. It's about 15 years old and about 12 feet tall. And uh, I believe it to be a maple. It could be a sweet gum. It could have grown off a seed from one of my neighbors. And I noticed three weeks ago something that was disturbing, which is oozing from the main uh, trunk of the tree. When I went out to further investigate it and I did a little uh, social media research, I did notice a couple splits in the bark, mm-hmm. and that's where the oozing's coming from. So my question is, I love this tree. It has green leaves. They turn yellow in the fall, and I don't want to lose it to a bacteria or anything else. What would you suggest I do? Okay, so let's determine those are two very different trees. Um, do the leaves look like maple leaves, like, you know, the uniforms of the Canadians? Yes, they do. Um, at the end of the season, uh, do you notice little helicopter pods uh, flying around underneath it? <laughs> uh Definitely not, and it doesn't have those spine balls that the sweet gums have that you can break your ankle on either. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to uh, proceed. Um, why did you think it might be a sweet gum? Because uh, when these homes were built, the city of Philadelphia was gracious enough to alternate in the front of the home, and this is in the back, mm-hmm. uh, sweet gums at one house, pin oaks at the next. Mm-hmm. Most of the neighbors have since taken them out because they go through your water lines, break up the concrete and other issues. But right. uh, that's why I thought the two were most likely. Okay. Yeah. And you have a, a volunteer from one of those trees in your backyard. Interestingly enough, um, the, the sap that is running out of the crack in your tree, um, sweet gum was originally used as one of the first chewing gums uh, by Native Americans. So it is kind of rubber. Yeah. yeah, it is kind of rubbery, the sap, and it is kind of sweet. Maybe they boiled it down. I'm not really sure. Uh, but it would be perfectly safe for you to taste it and see what it tastes like. It might be, might be really interesting. At any rate, okay. what you have is very common with trees in the wintertime. It's a version of sun scald. Even, especially today, you and I live in the same basic area of Pennsylvania. Isn't it amazing how it can be 24 degrees outside, but you're in your car and the sun is shining on you, and you got to crack a window because it's so hot. So that's what happens to these trees. The south side, generally facing the sun, gets this blast of surprisingly warm 
sunshine. And then, of course, as soon as the sun goes down, everything freezes solid, and this often causes a crack in the tree. Um, is the crack simply lateral, straight up and down? Yes, and there are two of them. And remarkably, Mike, where are they facing? Southwest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know what I'm doing. Um, so the most important thing for you to do, which is the hardest thing for gardeners to do, is nothing. Uh, this is a perfectly natural phenomena, and it will not harm the tree. If you want to do anything once the season gets underway and springtime finally occurs, um, you can go out there and scrape off any leftover sap. And if you had a good experience with it, look it up. Maybe you can play with it and make your own chewing gum and, you know, go into business. But don't try but to... I won't use the name Bazooka. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was my favorite, actually. Hated Double Bubble. Um... But don't try to use anything to fill in the cracks. Don't do anything to try to repair the tree. The tree knows how to repair itself internally. And if you want to avoid this happening in the future, as we get into winter next year, you might want to paint that portion of the tree with white latex paint. Now we're gonna wait until these wounds have healed over naturally, but the latex paint, the white paint, will reflect the sunshine off the tree, and it is used to prevent sun scald in professional orchards. Excellent idea. I, I would never think of that, and that's why I called the expert. I, do, I have been gardening for 40 years, but I don't have the training, the credentials, and the background and life experiences that you do, Mike. I thank you very much, and, and I'm very wary of this because I've lost one other tree and probably my apple tree because we've got woodpeckers, but there's no bullet marks on this tree. Right. Um, so I've been watching for that on all my other trees. All right. You sound like you, uh, you have Thank a plan. Thank you very much. My pleasure. You take well. care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mike. Bye. Yes, it is once again time for the question of the week, which we're calling my definitions of dirt. Regine from Braunschweig, Germany the proud owner of, quote, a productive allotment, which is like a community garden in Europe, writes, I'm a longtime avid listener of your show. I know that you deem squirrels evil, that you advise using BTI to keep mosquito numbers under control. You strongly promote motion-activated sprinklers, raised beds, and shredded leaves. You love flame weeders. You always moan if listeners admit to using chemical fertilizers, herbicides, insecticides, or fungicides. And you think that in marital debates concerning gardening, that the wife is always right. I even know the names of your children. All caps now. I love your show. And I fondly remember back when you were the editor of Organic Gardening Magazine. Here comes my question. After all this time, I still don't know what the yard dirt you keep mentioning is. Also, what do you feel are good definitions for soil, topsoil, humus, and compost? Please explain. And please explain why you still recommend using peat moss. All right. Let's start with that last question. Whenever I discuss peat moss, I try and make a distinction between European and Canadian peat. I would never recommend the use of peat moss to our European listeners, of whom there seem to be more every day. 
Keep those cards and emails coming. I don't think there's any argument about European peat. Your native bogs were over-harvested to such a dizzying degree that entire ecosystems were changed. But on this side of the pond, all of the peat moss comes from Canada, where through a good amount of research, I have come to believe that the bogs are well-managed and sustainably harvested. I'm not sure if peat moss from Canada is available in Europe, but if it is, I would not hesitate to use it. Core, spelled C-O-I-R, a similar material made from shredded coconut husks is an acceptable substitute for making soils lightweight. But unlike peat, it doesn't provide the acidic conditions that plants like blueberries require. All right, we move on to, quote, yard dirt. Have I ever actually used this term? I can't remember ever doing so, but I've also lost my car keys and wallet for the fifth time this year. And it's only early March. Anyway, yard dirt would be the existing unimproved soil on your property. It may be heavy with clay, light with sand, or loamy, which is unlikely as loam is an excellent soil for growing things, and few of us are blessed with it from the get-go. In Europe, North America, and pretty much everywhere else, your existing soil could be contaminated with lead from post-war car exhausts and lead-based paints, which were finally banned for use in the United States in 1978. Before that, most paints, indoor and outdoor, were lead-based. A specialized soil test can tell if your dirt is contaminated. If it is, don't disturb it. Just install raised beds over top of it, which you should do anyway. Soil. To combine a number, a great number of definitions, soil is the upper layer of earth in which plants grow, containing organic remains, clay, sand, rock particles, minerals, gases, and liquids. Now, as I often say, there is no specific thing as organic soil. Although soil that has been free of chemical fertilizers and pesticides for three to five years is considered appropriate for organic farming by the various certification agencies. Topsoil. In bulk, this term has no accepted meaning. To hort geeks like me, Topsoil is defined as the top 5 to 10 inches, 13 to 25 centimeters, of undisturbed soil, like the layer of duff on an untouched forest floor. In reality, it is the soil that contractors removed from the area around your home-to-be while they were building it and sold to their brother-in-law, who will be happy to sell it back to you. Humus, not to be mistaken with hummus. This is a slippery one, with many varying definitions and opinions. But basically, it's the most organically rich component of soil, composed mostly of decayed plant and animal material. It is nutrient-rich, drains well, retains moisture, and is essential for natural plant growth. Most experts consider humus to be more like the classic horticultural definition of topsoil and less like compost. But most sources agree that in general, humus is a poorly understood term and the word has no legal meaning in the soil trade.
we finish up with compost. Yay! Finally, I don't need outside sources for this one. Compost is a man and or woman made material created by combining a large percentage of dry brown carbon rich materials like my beloved shredded leaves and a much smaller amount of wet green nitrogen rich material like coffee grounds, animal manures and or vegetable waste. Compost can be cold, the classic pile it up and it will eventually rot, or hot, which means paying strict attention to the ratios, using tricks like a roll of wire fencing placed down the middle of the pile to carry oxygen to the center and or frequent turning. Once finished, cold compost is a good soil amendment, but hot compost, which can be finished in a matter of weeks under the right conditions, is a much more effective fertilizer and has the added capacity of preventing or controlling plant disease. No matter what anyone tells you, you cannot make compost out of kitchen scraps alone. You just make a stinky mess. And beware of grass clippings. If they come from a treated lawn, the resulting compost could kill plants instead of feeding them. Well, that sure was some interesting information about the many names we use for dirt now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes! My producer is threatening to hijack my hummus if I don't get out of this studio. Humus. Hummus. Humus. You say humus. I say hummus. Let's call the whole thing off. Anyway, good luck digging anything out of my place from under all that snow. Anyway, we are out of time. But you can contact us anytime at please insert new phone number. Oh. 888-492-9444. Or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse, teeming turns our garden short at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information and our new phone number, yippee, at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of all the shows, aye, and our internationally adored podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was exposed to red kryptonite, blue kryptonite, and white kryptonite on the same day and briefly turned into Lois Lane. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is Jersey Fresh Charlie. Cheerful, Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. 
Octavia Minnick is our peerless princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins takes our temperature at the door and gives us a serving of hummus. Having previously worked as a stunt double for underwater detective Mike Nelson's scuba tanks on Sea Hunt, Zach the Tackwisneski is now in the house. Ably assisted by the usual gang of idiots, including Eric Warner, Jacob Morris, Jeff Frederick, and many more too expensive to mention. Our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, has been sending out the same daily update for close to a year now. He also still claims to be walking 1,800 miles a day. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, digging out from under the snow, hoping that the plow didn't garrote my garlic, and wondering if I'll see soil in time to plant my peas on St. Patrick's Day. Either way, I will see you again next week. We who toil in the soil do not live by tomatoes alone. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll reveal the best cutting flowers to grow to escape those COVID-19 blues. Honest, we'll do it this time. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next episode of You Bet Your Garden.